Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on the cast today are my two wonderful co-hosts, Miss Tiffany B. Hello. And Dan. Ladies. If you all ever want to reach out to us, you can do so on Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Find us on YouTube by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. The BGG Guild number 2077 is a great place to join the conversation, or find us on places like Twitter and Instagram. Great show lined up today. We are going to talk about Dan's top of the stack and a few of the suggestions that came through with hashtag SlackerTOS. We're going to do some failed and flipped and talk about uh, trading. And then Dan is going to give us the Unpub 6 report, all the good things that we need to know about what just happened at Unpub 6. Before we do any of that, though, we are going to start with talking about a little bit about what we've been playing. And Tiff, through trials and tribulations, you still managed to play some games. Yes, I did. Um, I finally got to play the King of Frontier, which was on my top of the stack and is supposed to be like a combination of Carcassonne and Puerto Rico. And it pretty much lives up to that comparison. The way it works is you're building a grid, you're building your city on a grid. So it's a little bit different from Carcassonne. You're not all collectively building up a city. You're each building up your own little city and you're constrained to a certain grid. There are a few different actions you can take on your turn, one of which is taking tiles. And a lot of the actions have a follow type action like you would see in Puerto Rico. So if I choose to take tiles, I get to take two. Everybody else gets to take one and then place them in their city. Tile placement, just like Carcassonne, there are different things with resources. So you can produce, which allows you to, there are different colored you know, things on the board that produce different colored resources. So if you have a completed area, you can put cubes. Um, You can use consume to trade in those cubes for victory points. So it kind of uses the resource production things from Puerto Rico, but has the same tile placement feel of Carcassonne. Cool. It was okay. It was just okay, then? (laughs) I mean, I liked it. I think everybody at the table liked it. It just felt a lot more constrained you know when you have a tile placement game that looks like a well okay it doesn't look like carcassonne because it looks like a child made their own version of carcassonne (laughs) (laughs) the artwork is primitive i would say it's cute it has like stick figures on it there are there are special buildings that you can add to your city and that made it a little tricky because ahead of time i should have printed out um what each building was in english Mm -hmm. instead i had to look each building up on my ipad um so that was just me not being prepared but um yeah it 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 you look at it and you think carcassonne but it's not as open it's not as easy to place your tiles as carcassonne there are times where you have to discard the tiles because there is no way to place them or you're trying to finish something up and it just never happens because of the tile placement rules and you're constrained within that grid does it make the game kind of more heavy more strategic or is it just more kind of frustrating for me, I'd say it was probably just more frustrating okay. than anything. I, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't feel frustrated the whole time. It's just that 
I didn't feel like I was like, oh, I have to be more strategic because of these limitations. And maybe on subsequent plays, that's how I would feel. It's just this first time through, it's like you really have to think ahead, maybe. I don't even know if knowing all the tiles really well would have helped because it's all random. You know, you're drawing two tiles at a time. A lot of the tiles are the same and, and you can get these buildings that definitely help you complete things. So just knowing what I'm trying to save up for, what kind of resources I'm trying to get to get those buildings probably would have helped. And in fact, uh, my buddy Kyle, who won the game, probably did the best with the building. So that's maybe a little bit more key to the game than I realized when I started playing. But I don't know. I I think I'd probably rather be playing Carcassonne or Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah. Cool. But it's an interesting way of kind of mashing up the two, yeah. and I wouldn't I wouldn't not play it again. It's interesting. Dan, how do you feel about a game that has tiny little stick figures all over it, and it looks like a 1995 Flash game? I remember when Tiff bought this, and I kind of laughed at her, because it was like 50 bucks, too, and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, it wasn't going? 50 bucks. Wasn't it, it like 40? 40 bucks. It was like 40 or 45. It's, it's an import. I mean, it's I get the that. only way to get it. Yeah, but like you said, it, it looks like, uh, like a pre- kindergarten kid drew it and it was like based on a nightmare he had the the night before (laughs) it's like it's not the prettiest game i own no but that's what makes it quirky yeah no it's it's i'm not against it i'm not against it when you first started talking i thought you were talking about that richard launius game which one what's that called isn't that called something of the frontier legends of the frontier oh sorry so this is the king of the frontier and richard this is what happens after Okay. <laughs> Did you talk about that game yet? I talked about it last week. Okay. Sorry. I talked about that you would definitely hate it because it's very random and story-based. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'd hate it. <laughs> like, absolutely hate it. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. But, no. I, the King of Frontier, like, I was interested in it. Like, like Tip said, it's a mashup of two games I like, but I couldn't bring myself to pay that much money for something that like really would just hurt my eyes well you gotta (laughs) it's not that you gotta pay the cost to be a hipster sometimes (laughs) oh i paid it's not a it's not a cheap endeavor to be so cool that's right all right dan so what have you been playing that's more economical um well i'm gonna talk about a game i got for free thanks to tiff there we Uh, go (laughs) (laughs) can't get much more economic than that uh arcadia quest finally got a chance to play this game and it was what I expected, and I'll get into that in a minute. So Arcadia Quest is a design from Eric Lang and Cool Mini or Not. It's it's a dungeon crawl, sort of. Um, the thing is that it's four players playing against the dungeon, and there's no like dungeon master, which I prefer. Um, I'm I'm starting to like get. I, I don't really not like them, but. I find that when I'm playing a co-op game, I'd rather be playing with everyone at the table than just have like one person have to be either reluctantly or willingly be like this dungeon master that has to like drive the experience. I don't know. I just, for me personally, I'd rather be like a part of the team that's doing stuff because like I know when I'm doing like Star Wars Imperial Assault, like I am the dark side, which I like. But when you're seeing like all these like cool high five moments on the other side of the table from the four guys that are like teaming up to beat you, it's like, man, I want a high five. The dark like, side is lonely. <laughs> it is. But I like it because it really sums me up. But anyways. What? what? <laughs> no. So Arcadia Quest, like I said, it's 
everyone like has this guild. You have three heroes that you kind of draft at the beginning of the game, and you're taking these little heroes through this campaign. The campaign is made up of, I think, six missions. Throughout the missions, you're fighting guys and just completing little objectives and getting equipment in between to upgrade your characters. It's all your typical, you know, tropes of like a dungeon crawl. There's really nothing all that new and exciting about it. The one, I guess, cool thing and the catch is that you're kind of like just fighting each other and you're like trying to like trample each other on the way to these objectives, but you're trying to do it in a way that, you know, you don't want everyone ganging up on you, so you don't want to get too far ahead on the objectives, but like you, it forces, it's something like Kemet where it like forces the player interaction because in order to complete a quest, you have to do X amount of um, objectives and at least one of those has to be a PvP object objective. So you have to go and kill another player to get that objective complete. So it, it forces that upon you, which is kind of funny. And it wasn't all that bad. Because I'm usually not that big into like highly confrontational games. And yeah, so anyways, the one cool thing I liked, again, outside of the kind of the forced interaction was the... It has an exploding dice system, which I like that. I, f I find that fun. Like, when you hit, like, the six, you get to roll more dice, and it can combo into this giant attack that could be awesome, or it could just fail miserably. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty cool. I went into it, like I said, it was what I expected, because I went into it with the mindset that this was just a kind of silly, Ameritrashy kind of, let's run around a dungeon and fight each other. And going in with that expectation, like, it lived up to it, and I was I was pleased with it. Like, I didn't go in with, like, some kind of misconstrued preconceptions where like oh this is going to be like the greatest strategic game ever created and I can't wait to do it because it, it's gotten a lot of hype so I wanted to you know I wanted to temper my expectations to the point that I wouldn't be like disappointed if it didn't live up to it but I, I wanted to enjoy it if that makes sense so I did enjoy it which is I guess at the end of the day what's good yeah and I oddly enough had I don't know what my expectations were but I because of the hype, I was just expecting a little bit more from the game. Not in terms of strategic value, because I knew it was just a dice roller, but I just thought there was going to be more going on. But really, it is, I mean, you got your three heroes, you just kind of move a guy, and you roll some dice, and then your turn's over. Yeah, there, there really wasn't that much innovation in the no, game, to no. be honest. It's just a really good-looking game, and it works, and it works really well. That's basically how I'd sum it up. Yeah. So, Tiff, how do you feel now that we are having fun with your games? <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad Dan liked it because it could have been very disastrous, and I think I would feel bad if he would have totally hated it after all of that buildup into getting it into his hands. But I don't know. It sounds like I thought it would be. It's just a matter of I would still probably never get to play this just based on the habits of my group so i'm glad that you guys are getting into it do you think you guys will play it a lot more or is it a one and done it's it's one of those games because you get the you get like your upgrades at the end of the round and the upgrades are cool so it's like one of those things like kind of like blood rage where like everything's just overpowered it's just how you want to do things and you know buy it etc because you you can only carry over like one coin to the next round so it really forces you to like really just buy as much as you can and it's done by a draft which is kind of neat but having that new equipment it's like oh let's just try it one more time you know because i just want to see how i had the guy named seth who poor seth seth was an asshole seth um, sucked but i think seth is going to get really powerful 
in the in the upcoming missions just because he needs spells and i haven't gotten any but once he does i think he's going to be unstoppable unstoppable seth but yeah so we played it twice like and like a campaign is six missions and all the missions are static but you can pick which ones you want to do so whoever won the last campaign outright gets to pick the next mission that you do so i can see why like it's ripe for expansion which they already have a number of expansions already for it so yeah i have those here by the way so if you get to the point where you want to expand it i can send those to you too i think the deal will just be whether or not we're going to play it as a group all together and keep going with the campaign or if it would be better for dan to maybe just break break all of our characters apart and just keep playing with new people all the time like it if we wait to get our group of four back together it might sit on the shelf longer which would be my concern but like I said, it's one of those games that you could play like two or three times. It doesn't take that long. Yeah. You can drag it out a bit depending on how you're, you know, how friendly you're being. But I think by the second game, the first game you could see we we're all being a little bit timid. Like we don't want to piss each other off. And the second game we were like, screw it. We just started attacking each other. Stab. <laughs> so it was, I mean, it was, like I said, it's one of those games you make your own fun with it. But you know what happened is much like Dead of Winter, Dan's dude died like three times in the first turn and he's not upset about it. <laughs> It's better than Dead of Winter. I'll give it that. He rolled um, a die and his guy instantly died. And yeah, I love it. Because, I'm wondering if it's just because of the tone of the game when you look at it. It's cartoony and you think it can be silly and you can die a bunch of times and it not be a big deal. Whereas Dead of Winter is serious. And your yeah. guy gets to respawn. Like in Dead of Winter, if your guy dies, you're kind of boned. So, right. But I just thought it was funny that Seth, that worthless sack of shit Seth... <laughs> Sorry, um, he just died so many times that that game. Anywho, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something big. Let's talk about Star Wars Rebellion. Does anybody here care about that? Yay. Probably not. I don't have to talk about I'd, it, but I'd no, like to talk play about it, it eventually. But I'm not like dying to play. I got this to the table. I asked Ben. You know, he's coming over for a game night. I said, "Hey, do you do you have any interest? Because if so, I'll start setting it up now." Because the game took me about an hour to set up. It's got so many pieces, so much stuff going on. Uh, Big, massive board. This is basically Rune Wars, Twilight Imperium, Star Wars Edition 2-player. It's by Corey Kaneska, so it's got a lot of that FFG big box feel to it um, in terms of the design team behind it. And the goal of the game is pretty cool because the Imperials are trying to hunt down the Rebel base and the Rebels are trying to gather enough influence to overthrow the Imperials. And how that is done is basically you have to survive a certain amount of turns. You have two markers that start on opposite ends of a track, and the time track will tick up one space at a time every turn, and then you can complete missions to tick the other marker down. And if they ever intersect, the Rebels win. So for the Rebels, it's survival, and for Imperials, it's hunt them down before the time runs out, basically. Because if you wait too long, the Rebels will win. And surprised how easy the rule set was that was the big thing for me as i read through the rule book and I, I got through it in one quick sitting maybe like a half hour i looked through some of the reference guide and didn't have any trouble when i sat down and taught ben it takes some time to teach it all but it's all intuitive and we rarely had to reference the rule book once we got started which was cool the game took us about five hours which the game box says two two to four three to four maybe which i think is about right 
uh, one of our turns really stalled out because there were some really important decisions that had to be made and I just I was trying to work I, trying to work it out and I got hit with some AP but um, I thought it was a lot of fun I, I really enjoy the game I think that it's tough it's hard on both sides and there's a little bit of randomness in the setup that I think will change kind of who has the opening advantage but overwhelmingly, the Imperials grow very quickly, and even if they start a little set back, they, they pick up the pace really quick, and it can get really dangerous really fast, and you kind of have to run and dodge as the Rebels, so I had a lot of fun with it. I think that um, it's a really well-designed game. It is only two-player. You can play with four, but that's kind of like playing a two-player game with four people, which is weird. I don't really want to share my turn, but... Uh, I, I was really impressed with it, and it's the kind of big box game that I think I could get to the table more than some of these other ones. Like, Forbidden Stars is still sitting around, and Rune Wars is going to be tough to get back out. But this game just feels so easy. It does take a lot of time, but it's really not that hard in terms of the labor of playing the game. So it, it feels very fluid and very user-friendly to, to get into. So I was really excited to play it, and I checked it off the top of my stack. So that was the toughest one to play. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> now the trick is oh. trying to get Kel to play it after she knows it's five hours, because that's not going to help my case. Yeah, five hours for a two-player only game, that's it was so a worth very it. interesting thing. It was so worth it. I mean, but anyway, what else have you been playing, Tiff? So I finally got to play Hero Quest. <laughs> I saw which... a picture of this. It's so <laughs> yeah. good. Uh, a buddy of mine has his old copy of Hero Quest, and we we always talk about playing it, but we really just it always just gets put off for other things. It's from the '80s, and it's kind of the was it Milton Bradley D and D version. <laughs> so it's um, one player is a dungeon master, and then the other players play characters wandering through the dungeon fighting monsters and it's super simple it's D&D for babies essentially <laughs> but <laughs> I uh I've been just kind of craving sort of that role-playing feel of things and the podcasts I've been listening to are geared towards that so it felt good and we did kind of jokingly role-play through things we only played it three players so in that case the two that are playing characters have to play two characters so yeah. so i was a um dwarf and a wizard and one of those is a race and one of those is a class oh wait i was yeah sure it's but that might be how it is in the game i don't even remember well, that's ridiculous all i remember <laughs> that's very 80s <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's how it was uh yeah that is i just looked it up i was a yeah, dwarf and a wizard male. Wizard, elf, dwarf, or barbarian. So those are your four options. And I don't know. I mean, <laughs> this is not really a game for adults. We had more fun just joking around about it than probably playing the game because you you roll and move, essentially. And there were times where it was just like, okay, we're going towards this door. Just move to the door. Yeah. Yeah. You could just roll the dice for an hour trying to get to where you wanted to go. Um, but we did have a little bit of fun planning out like where to stand and where who's going to do what. So it was a little tiny teensy taste of maybe what D&D &D will be like. Yeah. 
So I, it was fun, and I'm glad that we did it. And I think the plan is to play it again. <laughs> really? Yeah. For what reason? Well, I well, it's not, it's not me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, it's kind of a classic, and uh, the guy that owns it really likes it, and it it wasn't too bad. It's kind of like mindless, like you play it with beers and joke around yeah. so on those nights where we go out to eat and then are just too <laughs> bloated to think about actual games you just play some hero quest it's a, it's a good how one. great are yeah. those tiny plastic pieces they're pretty amazing because yeah. you're you're as the game goes through you you start with just like a plain old board with some squares on it and then you're putting fur actual furniture in the room yeah. so it's pretty cool like when it's all said and done you have like a legit dungeon and it makes for some nice pictures so that part of it was fun. dan are you feeling the nostalgia i love hero quest you can't say anything bad against it that would sway me have you it's played amazing. it since you were 15 no but i played it enough <laughs> when i was 15 that it's still fresh in my head. Like I love yeah. that game. I used to like print out copies see. of the dungeon sheets, and we'd create our own dungeons, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> sounds I like a nerd. Game. Yeah, totally. It sounds I like a nerd. Says the people who want to D and D. How is that nerdy? See, don't you want to play D and D with us, Dan? It'd be it'd be so nostalgic for you. No. You can make the dungeon. No. You can be on the team with all the people, so that you don't have to DM. It's not lonely. You can give high fives. You can have, participate in the high five moments. All right, we tried. I, I told, like I told Tiff, if you guys weren't running D and would probably jump in. But I find D and D just I don't like the settings. It's so generic, and there's so many other worlds I'd rather, if I was going to get into one, would rather explore. All right. Well, what have you been playing that sounds better than that? Um, not much. I haven't been playing much at all lately, to be honest with you. Because last weekend was Unpub. Uh, all weekend and I didn't play any published games and the weekend before that I was out of town and the weekend before that we played some stuff we, we played like a quarter of a game of Rune Wars which was was interesting um, that's not a game that you start at 9 p.m. at night I think we found that out that's just too much for for that t that part of the evening because we could you know, after two turns, I was like, this is going to take another six hours. Like, you could just feel... It was one of those games you could just feel that it was going to be long. Oh, yeah. That's, not to say it was bad. It's just that I was like, nope, I don't have that. I don't have that in me right now. <laughs> after two turns, we had made zero progression towards our goal. So... Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I Like I said, I wanna, I'd want to. i play a full game of it. I don't know how it's going to play out to begin with. I could see some things I liked, other things I didn't. But, yeah. It, it is what it is. I would play it. I guess I could talk about Fire and Axe. Did you guys talk about that one before? No, I may have mentioned it like a while ago, but what'd you think? So we played this. This was the same night we played Arcadia Quest, actually. We played this after it. And this is like a Viking saga of sorts where you take on the role of... I don't even know what you're taking on the role of. Are you Vikings? Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, you're a Viking clan. Okay, I was a Viking clan. And I was I trying to like... The, the green clan. I was the no, I wasn't green. I was yellow or blue or something. Oh, okay. Um, and you're trying to like traverse this board and like trade with and take over cities and yeah, it. I don't know. I I don't know where I sit with this one. It's it's firmly right in the middle of just eh, like I didn't hate it. I definitely didn't love it. 
I'm right. Yeah, it's a firm middle for me. I I think the the problem I had most with it was the the die rolling, and and you know I don't have to say it. I say it every time we play a game like this, but I don't like when you roll a die and it determines the outcome of something. I'd rather roll the dice and then get to determine my own outcome based on the dice roll, like strategically that way. What is that called? Output randomness? Is that what I don't like? I think is, I guess would be the designer term for it. I don't like where I just build up this turn. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And then I roll the dice and they suck. And it's like, okay, your turn. <laughs> Which this game had a lot of. and But it, you know, to its credit, it did have some mitigating factors. You could build it up to you know the point where statistically you should succeed which is not half bad but at the end of the day i just was getting crappy rolls at times and it was just frustrating i didn't do half bad at the end of the day but it became it became a bit repetitive i thought i don't and i don't know it's only my first time playing it i don't know if that's the normal length but i thought it was a bit long for what it was and i think that lended to it becoming repetitive because it was just like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going here, and then I'm going to do the same thing, just go to somewhere different. Yeah, I, I would like to see it play out a little bit shorter, and that might have actually helped it, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the, the actions of the players, in terms of how fast they're completing things. Yeah, I, I don't I don't remember what the box time was, but it just felt, it was just long. Yeah, in, I think our play mind. ran 90 minutes to two hours, and I think the box time is 90 minutes. Yeah, so... so. It's yeah. not bad. I can see why people like it. Again, I think that was a reprint because people wanted it. I think it was an old Asmodee production, I think. And then IDW picked it up. I thought the ships were a little poorly constructed because yours were all falling apart. I felt bad because, like, the sails, they put, like, this tiny... Like, I don't know. I thought they could have constructed the ships a little bit better because the sails were starting to fall off and you'd only played it, like, twice. Two of the, two of the sails came broken in the box. Yeah, yeah well, okay, that's even worse. <laughs> I have to glue them back together. Yeah, so, um, all in all, I'd, like I said, I'd give it a firm, like, 6 out of 10 after that first play. Cool. Well, I'll round out the, the what we've been playing. Last game I've been playing is actually one that we have a review up on NonsensicalGamers.com. We just put it up this past week, and it is Odin's Ravens, which is a two-player game about racing around the world as one of Odin's Ravens. Uh, what what are their names? Hugin and Munin, something like that. There's a there's a white one and a black one. Munin, uh, Hugin, or Huygen, or yeah. Huygen. Essentially, what you do in this game is bird you have one and bird two. <laughs> bird one, bird two. Odin's birds. You have a track built out of terrain pieces. You have these these double sided cards, or they're cards cut in half, and on each part of the each end of the card, there's a terrain type. You line up fifteen of those. So you have two columns of, or two rows of, of 15 terrain types. This essentially makes like a U-shaped track. So imagine you go up one side, you move one space up or down, and then you travel back down the other side. You and your opponent start on opposite sides of this track, and what you're doing is you have a deck of cards that match those terrain types. You're drawing cards and playing cards in sequence to try to advance your raven down the path, down the racetrack. Um, the twist in the game is that you have four different types of Loki cards, and these are your special ability kind of tricky cards. Those allow you to manipulate the track. You can turn cards over, you can swap them around, you can add new cards to the track to try to slow your opponent down. Um, and those are only one-time use, so you have to use them strategically to 
to get the most benefit out of them. And essentially, it's just a 15 little, a 15 minute, like little filler game where you're racing to the other side of the track before your opponent does. Not a whole lot to it, but at the same time, this is another reprint, as we were just talking about reprints. Um, it's a it's a good design. It's pretty simplistic. It's one of those games that when I play it, I think, man, why didn't I think of matching cards and moving along a track? Like, it's a very simple race mechanic or mechanism, but it works really well, and all of the games have been pretty close. It always feels tense, and you always feel like you are, you know, right on the brink of, of beating your opponent. And it's the kind of game that you just play a couple times in a row if you really want to, because it's just that easy of a filler game. So I had a lot of fun with it. I know that Ben and Kel uh, liked it. I don't know that you've gotten a chance to play it, Dan, yet. I'm not sure. And Tiff, I don't know if this is one that you you uh, were interested in. I own it. Have you gotten a chance to play it? Yeah. Yeah? I, uh, at least when I used to have time to play, uh, it was a good lunchtime game. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely I agree with that. It. It's a lot of fun, and you can check out more of our thoughts and kind of what's going on with the game and some pictures over on NonsensicalGamers.com, because that is where the review is. So, let's move along from what we've been playing. Dan, I'm going to give you the opportunity to defend yourself and come up with a top of the stack, because you were not here when we created our April top of the stacks. We did review how you did with March, um, so you don't necessarily have to go into that if you don't want to, but what games would you like to be on the top of your stack, and what games do our listeners want you to have on the top of your stack? <laughs> I had a few tweets. And I, I didn't know what it was about, but I assumed you guys said something on the podcast last time that forced these tweets. People Dan, were telling you don't listen to every show? Nope. I don't. You're lie. really helping our numbers there, Dan. Um, yeah. I, just, I haven't had time. I've been so involved in my audiobook that I haven't listened to podcasts in like three weeks. Just hit, Just hit the download button. What's your audiobook? I'm listening to The Name of the Wind right now. Oh. On my uh, drive to work. It's a romance novel. He's really into it. Yeah, I figured it was time that I, I figure out what all the hype was on this book. So I picked it up. And, um, is it any good? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. The first book is a little le- less action-y than I was expecting. It's a lot of world building and kind of just pretty words. Patrick Rothfuss is like a master of the English language. I'll give him that because he's like... Literally, it paints a picture, and as I'm driving, I'm, like, picturing myself in this, like, scene, and I'm like, what the hell? This guy's amazing, <laughs> which I, I really appreciate. Um, but, like I said, yeah, once I got over the the hump, it's it starts a little slow, um, you know, like a lot of... Yeah, I didn't make it over the hump when I started to read it. Yeah, well, you should, because it gets better. Um, I, I was told to press on, and I, I did, and I'm glad I did, because I'm really enjoying it. Anyways, yeah, so I haven't listed podcasts, but yeah, people are sending me, like, tweets, and, you know, Nathan Bivens told me I should play Dead of Winter, Arkham Horror, and Exploding Kittens. Oh, He's that's a good just friend. cruel. He's a good friend. My response to him was, watch your mouth. Because <laughs> 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 I will not touch any of those games, ever. I wouldn't even touch them with your hand, Tiff. Ugh. Those <laughs> games are horrible. That paints an uncomfortable picture. You are not a master of the English language. And just imagine, like, you grabbing Tiff's hands and making her touch things. Yeah, like a puppeteer. Wait, that sounded worse than I wanted it to. Like a puppeteer. Oh, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Tiff. Moving forward. Anyways, uh, Todd, my buddy Todd, love you, Todd. He told me Biblios, Princes of Florence, and Fleet, which I can get behind. I think he was going with the auction uh, lineup. He really wants you to love auction games. 
Yeah, and I like those three he put because he was like, I was like, I like those, and he goes, Yeah. I looked at your uh, owned games. I was like, Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. I own those three. That's very sweet of him. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for putting some thought in time. Very considerate. Patrick wanted me to play anything Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I don't really know of much that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, honestly. I think he just wanted you to play with your action figures. I would love to. You get some hero clicks. We got those. Oh, yeah, those just came out. Yeah. I'm reading Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if that counts. I've, I've gotten all the old, I think I mentioned this before, I've gotten all the old classic issues that have been redone in color in the last couple of years, and I'm rereading that. He's also been really practicing omnibus. his his vanilla ice go ninja go ninja go dance there's no need to practice it's pretty much done i uh <laughs> i've known that for years we'll have that on the next live show folks known that for years so but i'm gonna sadly decline all of those and i'm gonna make my own uh because that's what i do it's kind of my rebellious nature <laughs> you're a loner dan a rebel yes um, so I guess you guys talked last time. The only one I didn't get was Hansa Teutonica. That was the only one I missed. Did you get to play your Takedo? Is that was that on there? I thought Takedo. I just said I was going to touch. Oh, okay. I, Did you I, touch it? I touched the crap out of it. Okay. Well, we'll count it then. <laughs> I touched it appropriately and inappropriately. It was. The did Takedo, you? Uh, the Takedo box had a smile on it when I left. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Did you touch no Tiff's copy into the mail? What'd you say? He said, did you touch Tiff's copy into the mail? You know, my copy that you Your have. copy is in my car. It's just a matter of me melting. getting to a post office. It's not melting. <laughs> the minis are melting. How would it be melting? It's been like 30 degrees the last five weeks. The paint is wearing away. <laughs> if anything, it's got like icicles on it. The box is going to be all faded and just half of it. No, I will. Stop. It's been tough because with my new job, I don't. I miss post office hours. But I did find... I think it was Friday when I was out walking the city of Wilmington, which was not probably the safest thing to do. Um, I did find a post office like three blocks away, so I'm going to take it this week. And I'm also going to stick a I'm going to stick a prototype in there for you too, Tim. Yay! But so my top of the stack is going to be Hansa Teutonica, Quadropolis, which is the new Days of Wonder that I picked up. I've played it before, but it wasn't the official copy, so I'm going to play. The official Did copy. you play the super version, the the expert mode? Expert mode is is better. I played the regular version and was unimpressed. The regular version is it's it's cool. It's got like some clever mechanics in it. Um, the game itself, but expert mode is probably a little more. Sounds thinkier. pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a little thinkier, but the game itself I like a lot. It's like a streamlined, simplified suburbia. And the last one I'm gonna put on there is. My coin series game, Liberty or Death, because I'm on this Revolutionary War kick, and I really want to play this game. At least the tutorial. I'm going to I'm gonna qualify this by saying I'll at least get the tutorial in. Is that a two-player game? It's two to four. It, mm, if you play, play two, a two-player game. I'm going to play a two-player game? I don't know. Are you going to? You can. You can play two, or you can play up to four. You can play two, three, or four. <laughs> Just depend, like in two player, you control different sides, and it's all async too, which is cool. So, we shall see. Cool. All right. So that's on the list. We will see. You're running out of time, though. That's the problem. Yeah, I probably won't finish any of these because I'm not gonna play games next weekend, and we'll see. I don't know. Maybe the last weekend in April. We'll see. I have Prophecy of Dragons on my list, so we need to play that. All right. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna do failed and flipped and the unpub six report. Join us then. 
Welcome back, everybody. It is time for Failed and Flipped. I have not been trading anything, so I'm going to kick it over to Dan and Tiff to chat about what they have been getting rid of and what they've been getting in return. You guys can decide who to start. I can start. Cool. <laughs> I've actually had a decent amount of trade offers this month. It's been kind of nice. I've declined a lot of them because a lot of people are wanting to trade me for a Croft Wagen, and that one I'm really on the fence with getting rid of and it has to be something really good if I'm going to get rid of it. So I've had a lot of trade offers. I've accepted two trades this month. One uh, was for Hanabi, the deluxe edition with the tiles. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that version as much. Really? I like my cards. I have the French square version. Yeah, that... so do I. Yeah. I and it's signed that. by Bowser. But I love it so much, I don't want people to touch it. And <laughs> we were playing it two weeks ago, and one of my cards got bent, and I kind of freaked out a little bit. <laughs> uh, because we, I have card holders, because that's like an essential for that game, I think. You have to have card holders. It just makes it so much more yeah. enjoyable. And someone just kind of was sticking a card into the card holder and maybe bent it a little bit doing that so i was like that's it tiles plus i was thinking this would be a good one to introduce to the board game club and i definitely am not going to want them touching the cards kids do terrible things to cards they have no regard for cards whatsoever uh if you're going to start a board game club and you care about anything sleeve everything yeah so i i was looking for people trading the the tile version and i actually got rid of my second copy of cash and guns that has the expansion stuffed in it and, and traded that for deluxe hanabi so i feel like that's a really solid trade and uh i haven't played it with the tiles yet but i'm gonna try it with the kids next week i think yeah for me the tiles are just so, they're easy to knock over and mm. like they're so like low like Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes I can almost see them because I'm so tall, but yeah, I, I prefer the square cards. That's not going to be a like problem here. Yeah, if playing with kids, it's probably fine. How about you, Dan? Me? Oh, did you do your two? No, I figured, you know, I could not talk for a little bit and okay. you could talk. All right, here I, I am. I'm going to talk. So I did one actually this week. I've had a ton of offers recently because I put, I put my Grand Austria Hotel on the block, not because I don't like it, but because... I've played it like so much and everyone I've played it with has gone out and bought their own copy and I'm like, well, I don't need this one. I could just see what I'll fetch for it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like if I really am itching to play it, I'll just call Steve and be like, dude, let's play Grand Austria Hotel. It's just one of those things. I, and like I said, I, it's not because I don't like the game. I like the game a lot, but I, I played the crap out of it when I first bought it. And I think I played like four times in one weekend and I was just like, okay, that's a lot for me. So I, everyone wants to trade me Lahav. Which is great, and I, but I, I'm not even joking. I've had six offers in the last two weeks of Grand Austria Hotel for La Havre, and I've declined them all because as much as I would like to have La Havre in my collection, I don't really. It's not like top of my list. But I did find a trade that had two, a couple of games at the top of my list. As you know, I'm on this like Kramer Kiesling kick. I love those guys, and I want all of their games in my collection. And I saw a copy of one of their games called Asara which is a Kramer Kiesling like worker placement, but it has, it uses cards and like you have to follow the color to play a card to play, take that act, et cetera. But whatever, um, at Unpub, they had a copy on sale for 50 bucks. And I was like, Ooh, I want that game, but I'm not going to pay 50 bucks for it. 
I was like, let me see if I can trade for it. So I went on that night and I offered up um, my Grand Austria Hotel, Alia Ayekta Est, which is that uh, Jeffrey Allers, I think, the dice game, and Werfel Bonanza. And I got Asara and Torres, which is the old classic, I think it won the Spiel des Jahres actually in the 90s, Kramer and Kiesling game that uses little like pieces that are imported Negra to build. It's it's more of an abstract game, but it uses it to build different tiered levels in the city sort of thing. So I got both of those for those three games, and I'm, I'm actually very happy about that because Torres is really tough to find. Well, it has been for me at least. So I got two Kramer and Kiesling games for three games that are on my shelf. Nice. Yeah. I had one other trade. So... And this is one that's kind of, it feels like a victory. I don't know if it's really the most even trade, but for a long time I've been trying to trade for Kingsburg and the expansion. And I only want to trade for the game plus the expansion because I've heard that it's, you know, you should play with the expansion. It's kind of a must-have expansion. And not having Kingsburg seems like it's a gap in my collection just because of how much I like dice placement and it's kind of the original, you know, dice as workers kind of game. So I've had it on there for a while and I finally got an offer um, for the, the game and the expansion for Kemet, which I have played once and I've had since it came out. So that... That makes me happy that I have those two coming because those that will get played. Kemet will never get played again. It's too confrontational for my people. You should have gone with Kingsport Festival. Yeah, you have play... you seen that on the table though? I have it. Ugh, I've so played ugly. it. It's got Cthulhu. Yeah, I love Cthulhu. You love Cthulhu. I do. I... <laughs> hey, Tiff, you know who else likes Cthulhu? Richard. Oh. Richard loves Cthulhu. Oh, Richard. I heard Cthulhu. Episode it's like it's like the magical words when I hear that word Cthulhu. I'm like, mm. and I hear if Tiff's you say Cthulhu name. three times, Richard Lonius appears. If Tiff says it in that, that sweet. sweet, sweet Ohio accent of hers, I just am like, <laughs> poof. I'm like the magical so, Cthulhu genie. Hey guys, Richard, how do you feel about Tiff picking Kingsburg over a Cthulhu themed Kingsburg? Um, well, I mean, it's got dice, so obviously I'm in just from right there on the beginning i mean it needs more cthulhu yeah so what i do is i you know if i was going to design this game um, which i probably will i'll just change the name and i'll put it in my uh defender series uh, defenders the, of the kingsburg yes cthulhu. Defender, defenders of the cthulhu kingsburg um it's basically a game <laughs> about cthulhu taking over a castle and all the, the other players just going um hey let's roll some dice and fight cthulhu because uh, that's what my games do they roll dice and they fight cthulhu <laughs> But um, except for that one about the frontier where you fight cowboys. Oh, I love that one, Richard. So I thought I'd switch it up. But the expansion coming, uh, it's got a little Cthulhu and he's wearing a bandana. And he's got that. <laughs> it's Cthulhu with assless chaps, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and his little tiny oh. wings. Yeah, those tiny wings. They're so cute, aren't they? I love them. That would be adorable. Down south, we call them tiny wings. Well, Tiff... It seems like you have the utmost approval for your trades, so. Yeah, as long as Richard approves, yeah. that's all I really care about. I so. can't fight that. I think the Kingsburg theme is going to be a little bit more like if I ever wanted to introduce it to the board game club. Like, I think about that a lot more now. Um, yeah. Themes and, and how they will go over with the the children. That would be a good one for the, the kids if they wanted to step up. Like, it's not hard, but it takes some planning. I want to hear what the yeah, expansion well, does. 
I didn't like the base game. But a lot of people told mm. me it needs the expansion. Yeah, that's why I only wanted to get both of them at once. And if I couldn't, I was declining all the trades that I got offered for just like the base game because I didn't want just the base game. So we'll see. I, I hope to get it played quickly since I already know how to play it. Very cool. Very cool. Any other trades going around? No. Nope. That's it for me. No. If people wanted to trade with you, how would they do that, friends? Um, on Board Game Geek, I am Tibbon or Tibon. Kind of depends on who you are. T I B A H N. Tibbon. It's one of Frodo's friends. Yeah, I was going to say, was he Tibbon the. Tibbon the Wise. Tibbon the Ohioan. He got left behind. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he was too afraid to leave the Shire. In the Doesn't middle of two sense? towers, they're like, wait, where's Tibbon? Didn't we bring Tibbon? <laughs> He walked the wrong way. There were too way. many people in the party, and he locked himself into his hobbit hole. That's what happened. It's going to be great Tibbin, D&D, Tiff. Tibbon heard the word fellowship <laughs> and said, uh-uh. <laughs> that does not work that. for this cat. <laughs> I'm going to go smoke a pipe. Yep. yep. They do that. They do. And Dan, if people want to trade with you, how do they do that? It's widely accepted. It's medicinal in the Shire. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, NAD24, NAD24. The Shire oh. is a lot like Colorado. On oh, Bagoo. That's BGG. Phonetically. Oh. Bagoo. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start that. Yeah, let's not do that. Uh, what we should do is go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Unpub 6 from Dan's perspective. Join us for that. Yo, yo. All right, everyone, welcome back. It is time to chat about Unpub 6. We had some people asking about it, and the other people who didn't, you get to hear it anyway. Dan, you went to Unpub 6. You were a designer this year. You've moved on up in the ranks. And uh, how did it go? What, what were the sights and sounds? I wouldn't call myself a designer. I mean, the badge said it, but it's basically because I gave them 70 bucks for a table. And that being said, I thought I should probably put something on that table. So... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was, I mean, if you want the truth, that's the truth. <laughs> so Unpub 6, is it takes place annually, uh, this Unpub convention. It's in Baltimore. Uh, it's been in there the last two years at the convention center. Uh, this year was kind of crazy because it was going on at, last year it was going on at the same time as a, an event planning convention. This year was going on during a, like, preteen cheerleading competition. <laughs> oh my god. So, like, downstairs below us was, like, I'm not even joking when I say probably, like, 1,500, like, preteen adolescent cheerleaders, male and female, obviously. We're not discriminating here. And it was literally, like, the air smelled of, like, aerosol and Maybelline. Like, it was it, just, yeah. <laughs> there was no maybe it's Maybelline. This was Maybelline. As I tried to find my way, I was, like, cutting through... Uh, cheerleading routine practice and listening to like cheer music and lady gaga in the background and then like all of a sudden i see a little blue sign that says unpub six and it's like in the heart of this cheerleading thing yeah it was bizarre yep pretty much it's a weird combo yeah so you got like the cheerleaders and the nerds it's basically high school yeah. um all over <laughs> yeah. again except none of these girls were in high school if it was a college cheerleading competition i would have been really excited but it wasn't, and it was just annoying. Dan's whiteboard would have said, 
out to lunch the whole time. <laughs> it would have just said ladies. At his table. <laughs> ladies. <laughs> but no, so the convention, it was funny because, again, you had to, like, walk through that. And you know, once you caught your breath again from breathing in ozone-killing hairspray, um, you found Unpub. And it was a good turnout this year. I missed the designer day. Uh, because I started my new job and I wasn't going to be brazen enough to request off like in my second week of work. So uh, I missed designer day, which it sucks because they had some pa- panels I would like to listen to. The guests of honor were Eric Lang and Rob Davio. Um, and those guys, you know, regardless of whether I like their games or not, they're vets and they've got a lot of good tips. I mean, Davio's worked for Hasbro, Eric Lang designs a lot of crazy stuff. So, And they're both interesting to, to listen to. Um, I've heard them on podcasts and stuff. So I was bummed I missed that panel and just another chance to kind of hang out with other designers. And I was really hoping to get some tests of my own game in, which I guess I can jump into because I brought uh, what I called Supercell. This is the storm chasing game. It's kind of billed as, or was billed as like 60 minute family friendly, mainly Euro mechanics because it's me (laughs) designing uh, for the most part at this point. I'll bring Tiff in eventually. Because Tiff didn't come because she's a bum. But that's cool. Uh, she had better things to do, like play She's playing Frontier King of Frontier games. Yeah. <laughs> she was busy role-playing as a person uh, on the American Frontier. Yes. She was Daniel Crockett. That's right. Yes. I killed me a bar when I was only three. <laughs> That's important. It sounds she couldn't very important. make the trip, Dan. She couldn't make it out. Yeah. Anyway, so in the in the Supercell game, you're basically you are an amateur storm chaser and you're kind of traversing this board trying to, you know, view storms and you're collecting research and you're taking photographs and you're like collecting like bragging rights cuz you're like storm chasing. Um and it's like a thing. It was a very both exhilarating and draining experience. As I mentioned, this was like my first time doing it as a quote designer. So I sat down, I was up the night before, I was up Friday night until 5 a.m. cutting out my my chipboard prototype because all of the crazy little tools I had to help me out were too small to get, you know, the thickness of the chipboard into. So I had to hand cut my entire prototype, which I still have like, bruising on my fingers and stuff from the kitchen shears I had to use to like cut through the chipboard and so I'm really looking for new ways to cut through chipboard at this point I may even switch to foam board because I think foam board would just be so much easier even though a little bit more expensive but after spending just buy a cutting board like art teacher style that's what I have yeah I've got all kinds of stuff but like literally like cutting through chipboard like you need like I was told the rolling exactos work good um, mm-hmm. as opposed, like I have regular, like really sturdy exacto knives. I've got like the punches, I've got all kinds of stuff, even like my, my paper cutters and stuff. They, I think if I had like the slam down paper cutter, like the one you, yeah, with the lever, yeah, that might've worked, but even still like chipboard is tougher than it looks. <laughs> like I wasn't expecting it, um, to be honest, to be as tough as it looks, but it is either way. Yeah. I might try foam board next just to see, because foam board's a little easier to cut through. And yeah, so I was up the night before till like 5.30. I had to be at Unpub at like 9 to set up. So I got like an hour and a half of sleep. By the time I got up, finished the prototype, took a shower, 
So I was exhausted, and then I got there, set up, and it was a little bit slow to start. I think people didn't start really rolling in until like 11.30 or so. And after that, I was slammed. Um, my brother Mike helped me out with some of the kind of the prototype graphics. So it wasn't anything robust or fancy, but it looked really nice on the table. It had some good colors. It stood out. It was bright. Um, it had a nice table presence for just a, a quick prototype. And I think the theme was really appealing to a lot of people as well. I mean, there are no storm chasing games. I've looked um, many times to see if I could steal anything from them. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great theme. Tiff is the one who gets credit for that. I will definitely, that's why I put her name on it. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the big takeaways, was I, like I said, I was literally like, as soon as I'd finish a game, like people would be behind me going, are you setting up another one? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. So it was great. But my, my biggest thing was there, after like the first couple tests, there were some glaring things that... I needed to fix, but I never had a chance to like catch my breath and sit back and kind of digest the feedback and fix them really quickly. So I could, there's a few things that I could fix on the fly, but I couldn't really get, you know, everything I wanted to. So it was, you know, so you're going through this and you're having people play a game that you know is inherently like needs a, you know, needs some love. And they're telling you the same thing over and over and you're caveating everything when you're, you know, I know this is not going to work, but people were really, they're really receptive to kind of like my openness and honesty, I believe. And just saying like, this isn't going to work, but we're still going to play it. And I'm going to try this. And, you know, I got a lot of positive feedback. I got to meet a lot of listeners too, which was cool. I think I met like five or six of our listeners was, you know, it was a lot for us. <laughs> all uh, five, five listeners. We no, met but like people like literally like, you know, sought out the table and came over and said hi. And, you know, we liked the show. And I know Mike, when he was wandering around doing his, you know, he was doing some video of the the games and everything people were coming up to him because we all had our t-shirts on like we sent out the memo and uh so it was nice that from that standpoint but again like i had one really bad play test the rest of them were all cordial and even if they didn't like the game they were you know they gave me good feedback and etc but i had one and i'm not going to go into names or anything but i had one play test that was just really deflating the game is not that hard it's a little bit you know, it's a little bit tricksy to explain, or it was in its old form. I think I've streamlined it a bit more since then. But I don't I don't find it to be inherently hard, especially when three of the four players at the table were just, they didn't even have questions. They were just going about playing the game. I didn't even have to answer questions. But I had one player who kept asking me the same question like five times, like, why are you doing this? Why are we doing like? And it was just, oh, so deflating. And I'm not going to get into it. Uh, if anyone wants to ask me about it in private, happy to talk about it. Those who were there know what happened, but... So that was really deflating, but I came back from dinner and I had a really good play test with uh, T.C. Petty, Ben Pinchback, and Matt Wolf. So all published designers, all three people I really respect. And as our buddy Matt Riddle called it, he's like, dude, that's a gauntlet. Like, you just put your game through the gauntlet. And I was like, yeah. So I, like, played that game. And also, um, Senor Bob played it as well from Twitter. <laughs> I call him Robert. I don't know if he goes by Bob or Robert, but he'll tell us because I know he's a great listener. I had dinner with him and everything. So, yeah, so those guys gave me some really good feedback, and it passed that test, which made my day. Like, they, they said it was a good start. So that that uplifted me again. So it went from that really kind of demoralizing play test to, like, am I really doing this right? To, oh, I have something here maybe. Let's keep working. So that was nice. And that's kind of – that. I literally played the game from like 11 a.m. to 1 a.m. like with dinner breaks in between, but 
I wasn't expecting to play it that long and I talked forever and I lost my voice and my lips were chapped and I was thirsty and it was it was really exhausting. So Saturday was it was a bit of a beat down. So but a really cool experience. Like I said, a lot of great feedback. I guess I could yep. talk Sunday. Sunday was Sunday was all the same. To be honest, I didn't really want to play it Sunday because I knew what I needed to fix. I knew I didn't have time to fix it from the night before. I wanted to see what other people had. So I did two two people came up one one gentleman and his daughter had tried to play it all day saturday and couldn't get into it so they came back and asked if i could set it up and i did and we played it and they had some really good feedback um so i'm happy i did and then i did it again after that because people were standing around the table i was i was off playing another game and people were like waiting at my table for 20 minutes for me to come back because i put brb on the sign and again you know, the community's great because that wound up being a really good playtest too. And one of the guys from that playtest has actually emailed me since and like given me some suggestions and said that of all the games he played, like the one I, you know, mine really stood out to him as having the most potential if, you know, it just gets refined and he'd happy to blind playtest it with his group and all this really good stuff. So I left feeling really good, which I think is, is, was good, especially for someone who's just kind of dabbling in this now, but you know, and overall, my feedback scores were, were great. Um, I joked because I got a two out of five. So there's a five point system for all your unpub ratings. And I got a two out of five in interactivity. And I was like high fiving people because I was like, yeah, I don't want interactivity in this game. Get out of here. <laughs> this is a Euro. <laughs> yeah. I was like, did my job. But I got a four out of five on originality and a four out of five on fun, which I think are two really good starts. So I'm happy. Cool. Sounds like a good experience. Looking at the um, the show overall, I mean, it got bigger this year. More more designer tables, more games to be played, and just a, a lot going on. It's a cool thing. I'm not a big prototype player. I mean, we play a lot of games, and I do play prototypes, and we review them. I'm not a huge fan of playing games that are that haven't really been polished, but I appreciate design and to sit down and see the inner workings because a lot of these games are just you know, they're, they're prototypes in the truest sense. They're random components and they're done on like note cards and things like that. And it's cool to see, it's almost like looking inside of the game and kind of seeing how it works. And you, and like you did, Dan, I mean, there's a lot of designers who are open to the feedback of their players, which is cool um, to, to have a hand in that. And a lot of these games go on to be successful. I mean, there's many an unpub game that is on the shelf now and, a lot of people who came to Unpub in the past, you know, had a hand, had a small hand of like, oh yeah, I played that when it was still just, you know, chipboard and and some random meeples. So I think that overall Unpub is a, a really cool experience and a very unique part of the gaming world. Plus it's in Baltimore, which, you know, hey, hey, sorry, Tiff. Yeah, we got Origins. <laughs> That's Way true. Better. You do have Origins. The best convention. So... And and we missed you, Tiff. We wish you were there. Yeah, it just didn't work out financially this year. Um, just had a bunch of things come up recently and family things to take care of that weekend. So it was unfortunate, but hopefully I'll get to go back next year. Yeah, yeah. Anything stand out to you, Dan, outside of your, your game? Yeah, so I didn't get to play many. Like I said, I was swamped um, the majority of the both days. But I did get to play a few, and if you want to hear more of our thoughts from other people other than me we did a write-up on the site about some of the games we played at unpub so go check that out nonsensicalgames.com but i got to play obviously i played uh ben pinchback's two games that he had with him 
him and Matt's games. Uh, Songbirds, which was a really cool little card game. It had it was thinky, kind of like Arboretum and Parade, kind of, I think, which is like what he wanted to do when I was talking to him. All about like getting birds to the feeder so you can collect seed and you're trying to collect different birds as well. And it was it was a really good game. It was solid. It's it's at a good point. I hope it gets picked up. It's a it's obviously a quirky theme, but and those are a little harder to try and sell, but it's as far as gameplay, it's there. Um, I also played their their newest kind of uh, Legends of Sleepy Hollow, which was obviously based on Sleepy Hollow and the kind of stories behind that. Um, you're playing the role of villagers and you're going about, this is kind of like a hybrid Euro slash um, Ameritrashy kind of game where you're traversing this board and you're fighting monsters, but the the centerpiece of it is your player board and how you're using your action points to conduct movements. And then there's a refresh. It's, um, it's kind of cool. Um, you, you're pushing discs on the board and then once you've used all your discs, they refresh. It's kind of simulating... As Ben described it, it simulates kind of the cooldown in an old RPG video game or the cooldown on like your World of Warcraft toolbar where like you can use your best skill, but then you have to wait for it to refresh until you can use it again. So it, it simulated that, which was was really neat. And I think the only other game I got to play was Josh Mills's uh, Rocky Road a la Mode, which is, is coming out this summer on Kickstarter. I don't know if it's been announced, so I won't say anything, but... That's a game, multi-use cards, you're an ice cream truck driver, and you're trying to fulfill the orders of your little customers, and it's got a time track, everything costs time. It was good. It was a solid little card game. And so, that's I only literally played three games outside of my own, which is unfortunate, but I'm sure I'll get to play the other ones soon enough. Cool. The one thing that stood out to me, I, I played a couple different games, you can check out the write-up to see what I played, but um, something I didn't write up about because I didn't know what could be talked about and what couldn't was I played some of the Board Game of the Month clubs, club games? Board Game of the Month club games, which is Button Shy, Jason Tagmeyer's company. They have a Patreon, and if you go over to Patreon and check out the Board Game of the Month club, they have a series of games that are all kind of small wallet games. And this is, um, we had talked on a previous episode a little while ago about Say What Again, um, that, that cool game themed after... Pulp Fiction. So they've got a whole line of games that are coming out in that vein, and I got to play a couple of them, and a lot of them are pretty goofy, pretty silly, um, but I had a lot of fun looking at how different designers, again, like the design process of, you know, here's a, a quirky theme, use these materials, come up with something cool, and even though they're not overly complex games, they're still games, they still work really well, they're competitive, and uh, I was really impressed with a lot of, of what they're working on. Um, so to kind of see behind the curtain of that, I, I definitely think that Board Game of the Month Club is something to just check out over on Patreon. Um, not that expensive, and you get a lot of cool different games. So that was something that stood out to me and just something that I wanted to uh, to mention, to throw out there. We may be chatting about them more in the future. I'm not sure. We're talking about potentially getting getting our hands on some of them. So we'll see. Anything else from Unpub? Nope. Just it was a good time. Thank you to everyone who stopped by and said hi, playtested the game. And showed up and playtested other people's games, too. Cool. And thank you all for joining us for episode 43 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. We made it through. If you ever want to reach out to us, you can do so on Facebook at the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Find us on BGG Guild number 2077 and ask for a micro badge. Find us on Instagram. Use hashtag nonsensicalgamers to throw your photos up there. 
And uh, if you like the show, if you like us, if you have some feedback, iTunes reviews are a great way to communicate with us how you like the show, what you'd like to see changed, and what you'd like to see us keep doing. And uh, if you ever want to chat with us personally, Twitter is the best place to do that. Tiffany B., if people want to chat about, I don't know, what do, they, what do people want to chat with you about these days? I don't know. Kids games, board game, club stuff, uh, hipster games, maybe, sometimes? I don't yeah. know. But We're... I'm at Inept Gamer. Perfect. And Dan, if people want to chat more about game design and more about you being handsome in person, just like you are on the podcast, how do, uh, how do they do that? What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, At Scandalous underscore Nad is my personal account. And at League Nonsense is the League's account that I run. Excellent. And uh, you can find me at Cinnamon Buns spelled phonetically. We will see you all next week. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.